for the same reasons that we espouse the merits of the Lightning Network as a superior payments network, right? This open, interoperable network that's going to ultimately outcompete closed networks. I think the same thing is true in the loyalty context. There's a couple hundred billion dollars of loyalty value sloshing about globally. This is the value of all the points, all the miles, all the, you know, this and that. And so, you know, how do we get a significant portion of that onto the Bitcoin standard? So think of, you know, an airline, uh, you know, tokenizing their points as a fungible taproot asset riding on lightning rails. You know, same thing with that hotel, same thing with the retail. We think of Bitcoin as the life raft, right? And so right now there are a certain number of ladders that I can climb to get onto the life boat, life raft, right? So what Taproot Assets represents really to me fundamentally is the increase, the, just adding more ladders that various people may take. Ian Major is the co-founder of Jolt's Rewards, a lightning powered platform offering Bitcoin rewards as a service. In our conversation, we discussed how Jolt's works today. We talked about why the loyalty and rewards industry needs Bitcoin and a lightning network. And we talked about how Taproot Assets could unlock a new set of loyalty rewards and experiences for both consumers and brands. If you enjoyed this episode and if you learned something new, the best way you can show your support is by sending in sats over the Lightning Network. You can use any podcasting 2.0 app. There are dozens of them out there, but my favorite one to use is Fountain. Before we get into today's show, just a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the premier provider of Bitcoin and Lightning node infrastructure. Today's show is also sponsored by Stackwork. And Stackwork is a Lightning-powered transcription tool that takes the best of AIs and humans to create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. We'll have more from Voltage and Stackwork later in the show. Ian, welcome to the show. Uh, we've got lots to talk about today. We're going to cover jolts. We're going to cover rewards and loyalty programs. We're going to cover taproot assets, um, all sorts of stuff. But before we get into that, why don't we start with your background? Give listeners a little backstory on your life prior to Bitcoin. Absolutely. No, Kevin, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. A huge, huge fan of the show. So I'm really excited for the conversation. Um, yeah, the, the, the pre-Bitcoin era, it sometimes uh, seems so so distant and far away. But, um, you know, I, I had a kind of roundabout way of stumbling into Bitcoin, I think, as many of us had. I think back in 2013, you know, I was first exposed to it. I had a um, classmate in college who came in sweating every day. And I was like, what's, you know, what's wrong? And he was day trading Bitcoin. And so, you know, at the time, it was very unfortunate. That was my first framing of like, oh, it's this kind of online gambling thing, which, you know, if he had said anything else, if he had said, oh, you know, peer to peer digital cash, you know, without an intermediary, I think that really would have clicked because, you know, I've always been a little skeptical of authority and, you know, kind of freedom minded. But unfortunately, that was the first exposure. And so I obviously dismissed it as like, OK, you know, you you go enjoy, uh, enjoy that. And then fast forward to, um, you know, 2017 cycle, you know, I was one of those guys that had a diversified portfolio of crypto assets and this and that and didn't really know heads from tails in terms of, uh, you know, why Bitcoin is really special and unique and kind of rode that up, rode that down and sort of was left just 
having this feeling that there's something here and I need to figure out what the heck that something is. And so I suppose 2018, 19 was when I really went down the rabbit hole uh, and came to the realization of why Bitcoin is, is uniquely special. And, um, you know, really it's been, uh, you know, the, the, it's been uh, history since then. Um, professionally, I worked for a number of years as a consultant. We had kind of a software as a service analytics platform. So, you know, we would work with large Fortune 500 companies, helping them do analytics about all sorts of different business domains. And interestingly enough, um, we were acquired by MasterCard of all companies uh, who had made and is making a big play into data and analytics to kind of diversify their their core payments business. And so for better or worse, that gave me uh, a view and glimpse into the traditional world of payments and, you know, uh, how the kind of four party payment model works and what that means for merchants and uh, economic transactions. So that was very enlightening and kind of intersected with me going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. But the other really big aspect of that is uh, particularly after we got you know acquired by MasterCard, we ended up doing a lot of work around loyalty. And so we were helping all sorts of companies, whether it's an airline or a hotel chain or a retailer, or grocer, right? All these different flavors of businesses and, you know, these are organizations putting tons and tons of investment into sophisticated loyalty platforms, you know, conceptualization engines, personalization engines, basically this idea of how do I get the right offer to the right uh, customer at the right time in the right context, all that good stuff. And what was very interesting, and this has been, uh, you know, a, like McKinsey and company has done a study on this. There's actually an, a, a large percentage of loyalty programs that actually don't break even, right? When you kind of sum up the incremental benefits that they should bring in terms of repeat, you know, purchases, retention, all that good stuff. And you compare that to the costs of the rewards, the costs of delivering the program. Uh, I think McKinsey quantified it as about two thirds of loyalty programs don't actually break even. And we saw that time and time again in our analysis. And that was kind of the dirty little secret, right? Like loyalty is this thing that, uh, you know, large enterprises, businesses of all stripes and flavors feel compelled to offer, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And what really struck me was despite all this investment in all these sophisticated tools and platforms, there remained really foundational consumer pain points. Um, and in fact, I think if you go, you know, it's like 90% or some overwhelming percentage of social media sentiment towards loyalty programs is negative, right? And, you know, the, the pain points revolve around really basic things. Like I want more flexibility. I want more that I can do. I want, you know, to be able to exchange this one form of value into another form of value that I personally, you know, uh, demand more, right? You know, we have all these little silos of all these little points and they don't talk to each other and they can't do much and they can be diluted. So you have like these very basic, basic problems. And so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pause there. You can kind of see where we're, where we're heading with that. Uh, but that really planted the seed in many ways for what would ultimately become uh, jolts in terms of what we think we can you know, do to solve for some of those problems. That's very interesting. Uh, first question is in relation to your, your point about first discovering kind of crypto and having this diversified portfolio and then going to Bitcoin. Yeah. Was there a key catalyst there? You said it was 2018, 2019. Do you remember anything specifically that kind mm. of convinced you that Bitcoin, building on Bitcoin was the right approach? 
It's a good point. It was, it's kind of like a weird class to be from, you know, you've got big, big group of, you know, class of 2017, you've got big group of 2020, big group of 2021, you know, 18, 19 were sort of those lost years in the last bear market. That's kind of weird to, and I don't think there was any one particular catalyst. I think it was just that kind of slow grind and realization watching some Andre, you know, a bunch of Andreas Antonopoulos videos and like content like that in Jimmy song, me Dean back in the day, like, it was just a slow grind of, of, of realization. I don't know that there was any one particular Eureka, um, you know, Eureka moment. And, you know, the more I learned and the more I looked at my own personal experience, it became just exceedingly clear that like, okay, this is, this is it. You know, this is the thing. Right. And then when did it dawn on you that there would be a connection between Bitcoin and loyalty programs? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I mean, back in 2020, you know, everyone's conjuring up new hobbies to, you know, pass some time during the pandemic and things like that. I actually started a, a Bitcoin, you know, YouTube channel um, to, to which I continue to this day. And uh, I have a blast with that. I put out about a, a video a week, I'm like a way less cool BTC sessions with, you know, certainly less, uh, less hair, but, you know, similar content tutorials and that sort of thing. And that's been a blast. And so I, I sort of assumed that, okay, you know, I'll kind of continue on my on my you know journey, but this will be my nice like Bitcoin outlet. Um, but you know, it, it I had always had an entrepreneurial bug. Uh, you know, my co-founder um, Stephen and I had always talked about you know different ideas, and I think as time went on, and particularly as we saw some of the you know fiscal response as part of the pandemic and this and that, it became increasingly clear to me how inevitable Bitcoin would be, you know, this sort of idea whose time has come, you know, the genie that doesn't go back in the bottle, whatever kind of, uh, you know, phrase you want to use. And that was really the moment that I think it dawned on me to like, they're really just, it, it was difficult to justify spending my time on anything other than Bitcoin. Um, I, I think was the slow realization across 2020. And so it therefore became, you know, sensible for me to try and kind of combine, okay, my professional background and some of these insights around loyalty. Um, and, and Jolt, by the way, had many different kind of iterations. Like we were originally thinking about, oh, you know, uh, like data footprint monetization, you know, similar how you have like the Brave browser that, you know, can reward folks for, you know, their attention or, or, or whatever. We were thinking of like a two-sided marketplace with Bitcoin and data. Uh, ultimately concluded that was a very difficult sort of lift and and ultimately yeah came back to 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 loyalty so i think it was the yeah just the 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 you know this virtuous cycle that i'm sure you and a lot of folks listening are are very um you know abundantly uh, aware of is like the more you learn the more you you sort of invest your time your energy your thoughts into this thing um, and as that happens, it's just, you know, goes, goes round and round this sort of flywheel. So, yeah. And what about the lightning network? Where, where did your kind of like understanding of lightning fit into this puzzle? Was this right when you began to look into building jolts or was this afterwards? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I suppose it was around 2021 where we started to see really interesting things from the likes of like breeze, right. And, you know, you look at a lot of the ways that self-custodial or non-custodial lightning wallets are making that experience a lot easier today. I think, you know, the genesis for a lot of those ideas, you know, the use of 
of an LSP sort of behind the scenes to like open a channel with you so that you have inbound liquidity right from the get-go. You know, that kind of cold start problem is is a big one. So I, I think it was just, I was aware of the Lightning Network. I was aware of its sort of promise, but it wasn't until I started to see um, meaningful leaps forward in the day-to-day apps and wallets that folks could use. Um, and again, you know, I like I'm always going to encourage people to to you know use the Lightning Network non-custodially if they can. Obviously, that's you know in some ways not going to be practical for all eight billion people on Earth. And so you have you know other kind of great solutions, whether it's Wallet of Satoshi, etc. It was just the realization that like wow, people like this is real. Um, the learning curve I think has been sufficiently lowered, or the barrier to entry had been sufficiently lowered. And then as I increasingly thought about my experience on kind of the merchant side and that four-party payment model that I became so intimately familiar with via MasterCard, it was just sort of staring me in the face that like this, this isn't like Bitcoin's inevitable. The Lightning Network is inevitable. Um, people always say the, oh, a technology isn't going to really take off unless it's at least a 10x improvement on kind of the existing status quo. And when you look at the merits of the Lightning Network in the context of commerce, right, you know, probably 10x improvement on card fees that these merchants are paying, instant settlement, no cat and chargebacks, all this good stuff. It's like, okay, that's that's pretty obvious. So yeah, I, I would say it was like 2021 where I think we really saw technology come, you know, leap forward. I saw, you know, I think Umbral was having like a huge, you know, sort of breakout year that year, people running their own nodes. Um you know, and, and increasingly, you know, increasingly having the tools for merchants to also accept payments in Bitcoin. And like, for example, you know, you've got like the IBEXs of the world that allow merchants to accept payments in Bitcoin, but they could still at the end of the day, put fiat in their bank account, right? If they need to, you know, pay suppliers in in fiat or whatever. So, you know, and strike all these things, like it became clear that, um, you know, this is no longer going to be this sort of impossible chicken and egg problem um, for for embedding the Lightning Network and Lightning Network payments into into commerce. Right. That's very cool. So for those who aren't familiar, can you just give a brief kind of overview of Jolts and how it works? Absolutely. So at Jolts, we like to call what we do Bitcoin Rewards as a Service. Um, there are a whole host of terrific Bitcoin reward solutions out there today. Some are uh, premised on, you know, some are like a card linked product like Fold. Um, you know, you have other crypto exchanges that have their own kind of payment cards. You know, some are browser based or a browser extension based, right? You've got the lollies of the world um, and others. And all of these are great. And, you know, I'm a very happy user of, of all these things. But ultimately, they, these are models that are really premised on having this captive audience of, of Bitcoiners, really, to drive that traffic to merchants. And so early on, that makes a ton of sense, right? Because a merchant, you know, they like, hey, if you could drive me traffic, I don't really care who they are. Like, that's it just makes sense for the merchant. What we're really trying to do is take the next step to help bring Bitcoin rewards more mainstream and build the technology that allows you to bring Bitcoin rewards into existing business environments, you know, with, where you have existing kind of customer bases. So this Bitcoin rewards as a service or maybe even white labeled Bitcoin reward solutions is another way to think about it. Um, and so ultimately, we build technology that enables businesses to bring Bitcoin rewards into their business, into their environment. 
And so we started that journey um, basically tail end of last year, start of uh, this year, 2023, with our first product that was really focused on uh, e-commerce. So we had um, what we you know believe is, is the world's first kind of e-commerce integration for popular platforms like Shopify, WooCommerce. Uh, we're now set up with Uquid. And so what that means is that you know any merchant on one of those platforms can use our integration to do Bitcoin rewards right you know natively uh, in their store. They don't necessarily have to you know drive people to some other app or you know have a gift card that they're bringing in from somewhere else. And so for example, they could say, hey, I want to do five percent back in you know in Bitcoin for all purchases or maybe you have to spend a certain threshold before you get the reward. Or maybe, hey, if you shop with us, you know, multiple times over some time frame, you get a reward. So there's all these really, you know, flexible ways to configure those offers based on what the merchant is trying to uh, achieve or, um, you know, what KPI they're trying to improve, that sort of thing. And so that's been, you know, that's been going great. But as we talk with more and more entities, we realize that we're not going to be able to build like a ready-made, out-of-the-box sort of you know, integration for all the things that exist. And so let's, let's build a more general purpose API that would do two things. One, it would allow us to serve significantly larger entities, right? These, this might be an enterprise that like has their own loyalty app and right. So they want to control that customer experience. And so let's take Starbucks as an example, you know, Starbucks is has really long set the standard when it comes to like mass appeal consumer loyalty. Um, you know, let's say that one day Starbucks wants to add in Bitcoin rewards as an option for their reward program users to, you know, potentially opt into and, and earn or maybe convert, you know, their existing Starbucks points into Bitcoin, that sort of thing. Instead of going and developing all that expertise and technology internally, they can just tap into our API, pull what they want into their app. Uh, and away they go. So it's about lowering the barrier for these various uh, entities to be able to incorporate this exciting new, um, you know, asset that is Bitcoin. Um, and we're also seeing, you know, a lot of interest in like, ex you know, think of like a traditional loyalty platform. Um, again, same rationale. Are they really going to go out and hire someone in turn, you know, to build out some, you know, Bitcoin expertise? when they could instead just use our API to connect, uh, connect in. And then kind of a final um, category just to sort of inspire some, some thoughts is think of, you know, the different entities going to market to sell uh, Lightning Network payments to merchants. Rewards becomes this really nice add-on, you know, kind of like a value-added service. You know, rewards and payments goes, goes perfectly together. So those are some of the areas that we're seeing um, early kind of interest and traction for our API offering. But at the end of the day, the, the sort of umbrella that unites all of that uh, is just building building technology to help us bring Bitcoin rewards uh, into existing environments, wherever that may be. Very interesting. I like that distinction you made between some of the other rewards offerings where they may be bringing Bitcoiners to merchants. And, and you, I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I my understanding is that you're you're saying let's go to uh, merchants who already have customers and turn those customers into Bitcoiners. Is that roughly correct? correct? Yeah, yeah, roughly correct. Um, you know, we we can still 
we can still certainly help bring users to some of these merchants, you know, as we grow our business. Um, but at the end of the day, we're really focused on arming these businesses with a new capability um, and helping them incorporate this, this new exciting dimension into their existing loyalty programs and propositions. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I want as many ways as possible for existing plebs to stack more sats. That's great. Like we want that. However, you know, I, I really think we've yet to crack the nut that is getting Bitcoin rewards truly into the mainstream. And so all the people out there who are kind of on the fence, who just don't know that much about Bitcoin, but have heard of it, are intrigued, but are not intrigued enough to go and get a fold card or go and download a browser extension or go and get a, you know, download BISC or, you know, go on Coinbase and get an account. Like there's a lot of people for whom all those actions of getting into Bitcoin are a little too high. But if they're anyways shopping with an existing merchant who offers this, not, you know, not forcing it down anyone's throat, but like, hey, you know, starting now, you can opt into earning in Bitcoin. Um, how many how many folks that are kind of straddled on the wall might we tip over into saying, you know what, like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then you get your first sats and what happens? You're, you want to learn about it. The more you learn, the more you want to stack, the more you stack, the more you want to learn. And it's this again, virtuous flywheel. Right. I think that's very important. I think it's like at, at a certain point we have to start, we have to stop kind of like speaking to other Bitcoiners and trying to kind of like build in this fixed, fixed pie environment. And we start, we have to start going, we need to reach out to the broader community, the people who are not yet Bitcoiners and kind of find ways to introduce them to Bitcoin. So I think that's a really, really clever kind of like proposition there. Um, What has feedback been like from merchants so far? Anyone you've spoken to about integrating this? Yeah. So admittedly, you know, we're still very much on that journey of crossing this chasm. So really all of our customers thus far, for the most part, are still very near and dear in the Bitcoin you know, world. Uh, but with that being said, we've been talking to uh, a number of businesses that we might call kind of adjacent you know, to the Bitcoin business. Think about like precious metals dealers or you know, other kind of like freedom oriented um, businesses, uh, right? Like that's you know, the, the, where we've sort of started outside of the Bitcoin world. Um, and I would say it's been encouragingly, you know, we're, we're very early, right? We just, you know, kind of launched the API product and we've really just started to approach these businesses in a meaningful way outside the Bitcoin sphere. Uh, but I would say it's been encouraging thus far. Um, a lot of them, you'd actually, I think, be surprised by how many of them sort of get it. Um, like these are, ju- these are just s- savvy business owners that like personally get it. I think the big question for them is often, well, like I get it, I'm interested, but how do I find the right way to expose this to my customer base in a way in which I'm not sort of like blanketing everyone? Because, you know, it's right, maybe let's call it 20% or so of, at least in the US, you know, population is probably either held, traded, you know, something around uh, around Bitcoin. I don't know what those latest statistics are, but that's probably like a good, you know, and so it's kind of like, okay, how do I identify that fifth of people in my business? Um, and the way you do that is through some elegant w- mechanism by which people can opt into this and you're not. So that's like, I would say that's really encouraging. It's not like, and keep in mind, 
you know, it's August 2023 where we're recording this. We are still very much in the bowels of the bear market, you know, despite despite the BlackRock, uh, you know, um, uh, hopium, like we're still in the bear market. And there's still, I think, a general overhang of, of perhaps negative sentiment around the whole space. And yet, despite that, the conversations we're having are not, whoa, guys, like, no, like, what are you talking about? It is rather, how do I introduce this to my customer base in the best way? And so I, I certainly think that's a leap forward from probably a year, two years, three years ago. Um, and, and this is one of the big trends we anticipate as part of this next, you know, big, big kind of bull run is, um, again, if we're able to build into our technology, this elegant kind of opt-in mechanism, which, you know, we've, we've got a lot of different kind of ideas for that now that we're talking to these, to these different merchants. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think encouraging, but still, still early days. And so it remains to be seen what, uh, what, what the killer, uh, the killer solution is. Fair enough. Now on this show, we talk a lot about why the lightning network is kind of a superior payments, um, solution and, and in the payments industry specifically, there's like, we, we just, you know, understand why lightning is, is useful and unique and, and better than other payment systems. Why is the lightning network, the right solution for the rewards industry? What, what makes it you know, superior to some of the other solutions you mentioned? Yeah. So I think there's a couple things and this will get us also into one of the other topics I know you wanted to cover. Um, for one, you have this sort of like instant redemption ability, um, which is very, very unique, you know, and, and granted, some businesses are going to be a little bit hesitant to that idea. They're, you know, traditionally, a lot of brands are going to want to keep that, that value in their four walls. That is to say, hey, if I accrue X number of points, with a particular merchant, you know, that merchant wants those points to go back to them naturally, right? And so there is this little bit of tension in this idea of a more open loyalty paradigm, but ultimately, and you already see these early steps being taken by the likes of Starbucks, like, I think it's only a matter of time. Ultimately, you know, if history proves relevant in the loyalty industry, it is always just what does the consumer want? And that is the way that the world goes. And so I think you're going to slowly but surely see a more open kind of picture for this. But number one would be this idea of like instant redemption, my ability to make a purchase, to get my Bitcoin and to be able to immediately withdraw that and even withdraw it if it's a tiny amount. That is very unique. And, you know, you usually have in traditional loyalty, either like point minimums that you need to um, accrue before being able to redeem or, or spend them. So it gives you it gives Going back to what I said earlier, right, this like core pain point of just flexibility, uh, it gives consumers right off the bat a lot more flexibility with how they redeem their reward, number one. Number two, and this gets a little a little, little more meta, a little further out, but it's one that we're really, really excited about, um, particularly as it relates to taproot assets. Um, and so think about for the same reasons that we espouse the merits of the Lightning Network as a superior payments network. Right, this open interoperable network that's going to ultimately outcompete closed networks. I think the same thing is true in the loyalty context. So I'll give you an example. Like think about how today you have some partnerships, particularly in the travel and um, you know travel and entertainment industry. Think of like you know maybe a partnership between an airline and a hotel chain. So maybe you can accrue some airline miles and redeem some of those miles for a discounted 
hotel stay, as an example. And so what's happening there is those entities have formed a partnership. And then what's happening behind the scenes are these two, both very archaic loyalty systems are sort of attempting to talk to each other and enable you, the consumer, to exchange that one form of value to another. And what happens because these systems are so, you know, archaic and sort of kludged together, you know, very kind of Frankenstein-esque, value gets leaked out of that. It's, it's an inefficient transaction. You, the consumer, don't realize it. But what's happening is that, you know, there's a, there's a cost of doing that conversion. And not everyone's going to like add up and say, oh, you know, did I get dollar for dollar what I had here? The answer is no. And so this is a very inefficient way to translate one form of value to another. So you could probably see where I'm heading with this in the same way as you see the Lightning Network being, for example, used for remittances. I want to send value back to a family member in country you know, X. And so you're seeing Lightning Network rails being used to sort of interoperate value transfer between fiat currencies. In that same way, you could see Lightning Network rails interoperate value transfer between different units of loyalty value. So think of you know an airline uh, you know, tokenizing their points as a fungible taproot asset riding on lightning rails, you know, same thing with that hotel, same thing with the retailer, same thing with, you know, all of this. And so you have all these different loyalty points riding on lightning rails that are denominated in sats that can be exchanged and redeemed immediately in sats. And that can also be exchanged between each other. That opens up so much more flexibility for the consumer it eliminates a lot of these kind of friction points that we see today. Um, and it really sets the stage for this truly open loyalty economy on a Bitcoin standard, if you will. There's, there's a couple hundred billion dollars of loyalty value sloshing about globally. This is the value of all the points, all the miles, all the, you know, this and that. And so, you know, how do we get a significant portion of that onto the Bitcoin standard, I think this is, you know, one of the ways you might ask, well, okay, that's pretty clear on the consumer side, what's in it for the merchant. And I, th I think there's a massive like discoverability element. Again, this is going to be scary for merchants. They're going to, they're going to say, I am used to keeping my four walled garden, uh, you know, pristine and locked out from anyone else. But again, times are changing. Consumer preferences are changing. We see this in even some of the good research that um, companies like Bact have done about, you know, younger generations, their preferences around loyalty and different, you know, alternative types of loyalty rewards. So I think it's only a matter of time. And ultimately, once brands opt into this, they're going to benefit from this huge discoverability aspect, like, you know, you know, being able to being able to access a much more global audience with the form of uh, loyalty that we have to offer. And so, you know, not every, like, not every brand is going to like that, but those that can, you know, that are competitive, I think will benefit immensely. So that's, uh, you know, that's maybe the, the further out kind of vision for where I think this whole arc of loyalty and Bitcoin goes, you know, over the more kind of medium to longer term. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor, Voltage. Voltage empowers engineers to integrate Bitcoin and Lightning Network payments into their business stack with an enterprise-grade experience. The team at Voltage is building the complete toolset so that you can do more than simply spin up nodes, but also understand and interpret your nodes' data. Their new product, Surge, gives engineers the capability 
to quickly solve problems and optimize operations. With node insights and visibility through time series data, you get dynamic and complex insights never available before. You can get complete control with insanely fast onboarding, advanced client-side encryption, and zero management infrastructure, making backups, networking, and upgrades simple. Get a free seven-day trial today at Voltage.cloud. Now, do you think that by having brands build out Bitcoin loyalty programs and having their consumers earn Bitcoin, that also then leads to more brands accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment? Is that, do you think that flywheel starts really spinning? That, that's certainly my hope. That's certainly one of our core hypotheses. I mean, we talk with, you know, we talk with brands from a lot of different places and, you know, some of the geographies that, you, you know, Latin America, right? Some of these brands are already pretty far ahead thinking about Lightning Network payments. Whereas I think that's a slower conversation in many ways for, for the places like the US, Canada, Australia, Western Europe, these places where Bitcoin is still much more seen as a store of value rather than a proper medium of exchange. And so there are many cases where we, you know, where we talk with business owners and it's like, hey, if I laid out these two options for you to kind of get started with Bitcoin for your business, option one is integrated as a payment option. Option two is add it as part of a loyalty program. That second option in many cases is perceived as being easier. It's perceived as a lower, it's like, well, you know, what does it, what does it mean? What does it entail to accept Bitcoin, you know, as payment? What do I as the business need to do in order to prepare for even doing that? How, what percentage of my, you know, base is even going to, so there's all these kind of questions. And again, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I, I want to see, um, you know, circular Bitcoin economies, merchants accepting Bitcoin. But I think you're exactly right that this can be another vector to get the brand to that, uh, you know, up the learning curve a bit, because now they can see, whoa, okay, we introduced this as an option in our kind of loyalty rewards program. And we can see how our customers are responding positively to it. That gives us the conviction and the data, frankly, to then justify the business decision to accept Bitcoin as, as payments. And it can certainly go the other way as well. You know, you could start with payments and then go to rewards as this kind of value add. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're really keen to see if that holds true, um, you know, at least given some of the early conversations we're having. Right. And you mentioned flexibility being a pain point for consumers and them wanting more, you know, I, I want more than just the ability to spend my money at Starbucks or just the ability to spend it in air, air, you know, air miles or whatever, or at a hotel. Um, why has that flexibility problem not been solved with dollars like leading up to now? I know the the instant settlement at the very small amounts, you know, maybe a limiting factor, but it seems like if it if it's a real pain point for consumers, why haven't we seen you know the the siloed individual kind of reward systems break apart and choose to use dollars, you know, over the last few decades? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I I mean, I do think I do think a big part of the gravity is the organizational kind of inertia of, of being against opening, you know, our walls out. So I do think you could make a valid argument that like this 
progression from more closed silos to a more open paradigm, I think you could probably make the argument that that, to some degree at least, is anyways occurring, even independent of Bitcoin. With that being said, I think what Bitcoin, the, the role that Bitcoin plays in unlocking that transition is it's just a stronger signal. Like it's just a stronger um, component to motivate behavior change. So what do I mean by that? You know, we've done some research of our own with Joel, so, you know, just surveying those in the community, right? Like how, you know, how likely would you be to switch allegiance from brand A to brand B, um, you know, uh, if it meant you could earn Bitcoin rewards, right? And Bitcoin adopters, not surprisingly, you know, 90 plus percent of them would either switch or, you know, be very likely to. And so that's that's just not the same sort of incentive and motivation that you see. Yes, flexibility is a pain point, but it's kind of like, well, you know, am I really going to switch allegiance from a bu one business to another in order to unlock that additional flexibility? Maybe, maybe not. But now that you integrate Bitcoin as this just, you know, we know what happens. Like you, once you, you know, once you get an understanding of what this thing is, you're like, I need to accumulate as much as possible. I need to use it. I want to use it in all these different aspects. And so it's a much sort of sharper um, motivator for changing behavior. And so again, I think to some degree, you've, all, you've seen this transition anyways starting to take place, but I think Bitcoin and all the kind of game theory around it is going to really push that transition and accelerate it more than it otherwise would with just a dollar-based sort of system. Right. Now, you mentioned the uh, size of the rewards industry. You mentioned at any given point, there could be hundreds of billions of dollars kind of sloshing around these different systems. Yep. What is the business model for Jolt? How do you kind of like tap into that, you know, multi-hundred billion dollar market? Yeah, yeah, great question. So we, you know, we try and price our services in a value-based way. So, you know, how much value is the merchant getting from our services? That should be commensurate and proportional to how much, you know, we're earning as revenue. So for our first product that I mentioned, we launched, you know, the e-commerce integrations. Um, that's a super simple model. There's no upfront cost. And we basically just add 5% of the reward value on as a service fee. So let's say I'm a merchant and I give, you know, $100 in rewards in a given month we would add a $5 in that case service fee. And so this is nice, right? If a merchant has a slow month, that means we have a slow month. If the merchant has, you know, gangbusters month, we have a gangbusters month. And so we sort of, our revenue kind of scales with the amount of reward value. And then for our API, it's very similar, although we have different bands of uh, subscription tiers based on the, the um, amount of reward value. So, you know, hey, up to, $2,500 in rewards a month, that'll be, you know, X dollars uh, per month. So that one's a little bit more subscription based on the API side, just to, because we're, you know, in that case, dealing with, with larger entities, but it's ultimately still expressed as a percentage of the reward um, value. So, you know, when you think about the business opportunity that presents, you know, 200 billion uh, in, in all this value sloshing around, what percent of that over time will convert and be, you know, convert onto a Bitcoin standard, as we may say, and then who are the companies that are going to be, you know, enabling that uh, process? You know, I, I think I think it's a it's a really sizable market. Yeah. 
Now, earlier you mentioned that there were a number of companies, I think you said a majority of companies that are actually running these reward systems and losing money. How, how are they managing to do that? It's, yeah, it's, and again, this is, you know, one of those dirty little secrets of, of the industry. Again, we saw this in our, in our empirical, you know, analysis work. Uh, McKinsey's, you know, done a study on this and again, estimated about two thirds, but it's, it's one of these things where, um, you know, the, the value and richness of the rewards is offsetting any sort of incremental gains that you're getting. And so the problem, and a lot of times brands are looking, you know, they're looking at performance on a comps basis, right? They're saying, hey, what did we do this year versus last year? And if that number's up, then it's all good. When really the question they should be asking is what would it have been otherwise had we not done whatever it is that we did, right? Like what is the incremental performance change between what would have happened and what did happen based on, on what we did? And so a lot of times these brands are just looking at comps and saying like, oh, you know, we're up 2%, so all is good. But guess what? If you had actually executed, you know, this loyalty program in a better way, you would have been up 4%, not, you know, not 2%. And so there's actually a negative 2% incremental impact as a result of that on, you know, profitability or whatever metric you're looking at. So I think it's like the measurement paradigm that a lot of these brands um, sort of use that that leads one to believe that sort of all all is well and all is rosy or maybe they're looking at you know really basic statistics around hey as long as like people are redeeming the rewards that's all that matters you know if there's activity happening but they're not connecting that to the other side of things which is our customers actually incrementally purchasing more or incrementally extending their lifetime relationship with us if one of those things is not true then you know you're you're probably not going to be uh, going to be profitable. So I think it's just you know the the lens through which they look at some of these numbers um, can be can be you know very uh, very misleading. I see. So if I am a merchant, let's say I'm you know selling um, selling a, a coffee mug or something, and it's a hundred bucks. So expensive yeah. coffee mug, but yes, I offer a yeah. you know ten dollar back you know in Kevin points or something. Yes. You're saying that the merchant needs to be turning that, that $10 then has to come back in the form of, you know, a, a multiple of that has to come back in the form of a sale, right? Correct. For that to make sense. Exactly right. Exactly right. And another question, another way to say it is like, would you have purchased that coffee mug anyway, even if you didn't have the reward offer? Right. Um, and so to the degree that you anyways would have gotten the transaction, then arguably the reward is is by definition a loss you know maker right um, so the the key is to and this is and this is why these brands invest a lot in these kind of personalization engines because rarely is it the case that one size offer fits all like you may you know you may have a much higher propensity to buy coffee mugs than I do and so for you you were anyways going to buy that coffee mug and so in some ways, I probably don't want to incentivize you because you were anyways going to do it. Whereas for me, like that extra carrot is actually really meaningful. Like that is the difference between me not making a purchase of that coffee mug and making a purchase of the coffee mug. So, you know, this is why you see a lot of brands investing a lot in platforms and analytics that can help them do that targeting 
which so again, you know, my earlier comment was certainly not to suggest that that is a uh, a lost cause. Like that is important. You know, getting smarter with the intelligence by which you target your different you know offers. Like that is important. But um, but it's it's my hypothesis that there are even like there's two ways that you can fundamentally improve the economics of a loyalty program. One, you either do more intelligent targeting. So I don't give the offer to you, but I give the offer to me, right? That's one way. Or you can kind of raise the baseline or, you know, raise the tide of all of my customerships, if you will, by enriching the program with just fundamentally more optionality, flexibility, et cetera. Mm. And so this is going to lead like, yes, you are already a coffee purchaser, but you know, like now that I've, now that I have sufficiently increased the value prop of this rewards program, now even you are going to increase your behavior in some way, or maybe refer a friend, right? It doesn't, doesn't have to be, you know, making a purchase. It can be referrals. There's many other kind of valuable actions that you could take. So that's the idea. And I think the inclusion of Bitcoin rewards in a loyalty program is really geared towards that ladder or that second category of improving a program, which is to say, can we just lift the whole sort of uh, tied up, you know, with this this new compelling option? Right. So do you think you guys will ever be in the business of trying to do that personalization and figure out who is the right person to give that reward to? Or is that kind of outside the scope of Jules? I, I could certainly see, I mean, you know, that's my, my whole background and, you know, a lot of analytic stuff. I, I think I think we will likely have some sort of you know, kind of analytics offering to our our service at some point in the future. Um, that's you know not a big focus on 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 the near term, but I but I do think that you know matters, and and this also ties nicely back to something that we often hear from brands, which is like, hey, okay, you know, remember those savvy business owners I was talking about earlier who personally get it, but are wondering how we get how we get this sort of Bitcoin offer to the right individuals. That could come in very handy if you're able to kind of, you know, identify the profile of your customer who will meaningfully change behavior if they have the ability to earn in Bitcoin, then that becomes a no brainer because now you can introduce it in the right way for the brand that lets them dip their toes in, that lets them see the impact. And then it becomes, you know, a full sort of rollout. Um, so I, I think I think at some point eventually, but. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily our, our focus first and foremost. Now, uh, we've talked about loyalty rewards. What about affiliate rewards? And like, I, I want to understand more about how big that industry is. Is that going to be a focus point for you guys? Because uh, I imagine it, there's a lot of the same components there, right? It's just you're rewarding someone for helping make a sale yep. rather than the person who, who actually bought something, you're rewarding them at the end. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of less well, you know, versed in some of those specific numbers and market sizes, but you're right. I mean, it's a huge market. There's, you know, a ton of different um, software as a service plugins and platforms that help with, you know, referral marketing. And it's something that I think pretty much every business should at least evaluate um, and, and, you know, test because in many cases you're going to get a lower cost of acquisition from referrals than you are from really, you know, any of your other challenge, uh, your other channels. And so um, the beautiful thing about our API is that there is like a literal section for referrals. 
hmm. um, you know, that would allow, you know, think of how many, you know, Bitcoin apps and businesses and companies that are going to be uh, going forward. Each of them can do Bitcoin referrals, you know, just using our API. So that is definitely very front and center. We learned very early on that, yes, purchases ultimately win the day, uh, but referrals are also massively valuable. And so the creation of our API was done with that in mind. Can we enable these, you know, very kind of creative use cases? You've got referrals, you've got making a purchase. Um, some of the folks we're talking to have a fairly onerous onboarding process, right? And they have a lot of users kind of drop out of that process uh, and they don't get all the way through the funnel. So can you maybe sprinkle some sats to incentivize people to get over that hump where they usually fall out? Or, you know, we've talked to some who have um, maybe a more a more complex product. And so there's like education that goes along with that. And so they want to maybe incentivize you to complete the educational content because they know that if you do and you have that better understanding, then you're going to be a more valuable customer over the long run. So, you know, you're right. Like referrals is definitely the, the kind of um, probably next like biggest category. But, um, you know, there's all sorts of, of, of really interesting use cases that we can think about for, for Sats Rewards. Yeah. What are the closest comparables for Jolt in the kind of fiat reward system? Like, are there any good uh, comparisons where people can you know, help wrap their heads around what this API offering is? Yeah. So the API offering is an interesting one. Um, I would say on the e-commerce side, the sort of like out of the box integrations Probably the best um, analogy there would be Smile. Mm. Um, I think their website Smile.io. Uh, you know, they're they and and they do really well. You know, they do. You know, you've got like the little the little kind of icon at the bottom of uh, a bunch of you know Shopify and WooCommerce stores that you can click and say, you know, opt into this program and you can earn rewards and points and this and that. So Smile actually does a really nice job, and they've got like I think over a hundred thousand merchants. Now, granted, this is the long you know longer tail. These are kind of smaller, more, more SMB, small, medium-sized businesses. But Smile would be a really good analogy for the kind of uh, integration side of things. For the API, um, I mean, you know, some of the very, very big, like, you know, Adobe has a very, you know, a very um, sophisticated loyalty program. Salesforce does some stuff around um, loyalty in addition to their core kind of CRM efforts. So some of these like really, really big uh entities do have some API kind of functionality, but, um, but usually it's the case that you're going to like a, a loyalty provider. So they are, you know, they are providing you like the whole platform. And so for us, it's a little bit unique. We're not necessarily saying, Hey, brand go and abandon your loyal, your existing loyalty in totality. Not at all. We're saying add this in to enrich what you already have. So yeah, I would say there's probably fewer analogies on the API side of things, but some of those bigger players definitely have, you know, pretty rich kind of API capabilities um, right. you know, as a comparison. That makes sense. Okay, I want to get into Taproot Assets. Yes. Now, you are working on a Taproot Assets wallet. Correct. Why? <laughs> we just we just didn't have enough uh, else on our plate, so we, <laughs> no. Um, no, it's a, it's a great question. So... This really spawned, um, I mean, we, since we founded Jolt, we've had this hypothesis that like, yes, Bitcoin rewards, sats, makes sense. Great. Perfect. But 
when we say Bitcoin rewards, we, you know, we, we want to have a relatively wide definition of what that means. And so we were struck by like, star I go back to Starbucks, you know, every time they launched what they called their Odyssey initiative last year. And this is, uh, I think it's now in open beta, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but this is basically their like Web3 extension to their loyalty program. Um, you know, and of course they're building this on Polygon because it's so green and good for the environment. But, you know, with that being said, like when I have learned in, in my career, when Starbucks does something, it's usually good to kind of pay attention and, and, and look at what they're doing. And so what this is, is basically um, the ability for their loyalty program members to opt into this kind of additional layer of their loyalty and earn things like digital badges uh, that can, you know, can be shown off as, as sort of more, you know, uh, cosmetic things, uh, but also like token gated collectibles or collectibles that unlock token gated content or exclusive experiences or, you know, trips to a local, you know, Starbucks coffee farm or all these different things. And they're very careful to abstract away a lot of the um, language and, you know, they don't call them NFTs. They don't call, you know, they call them digital uh, journey stamps, I think, or something, you know, something to that effect. And I know this is a very kind of controversial topic within the Bitcoin community. Uh, but at the end of the day, like we think there should be a Bitcoin related solution for that type of loyalty use case, right? The awarding of badges and digital collectibles that can be tradable, exchangeable, and that can unlock token gated content. And this can also be a nice replacement for the traditional kind of password and, you know, login that all these merchants have, you know, have on me. And so we looked at what was happening at Starbucks, uh, Liquid Death, the, uh, the water brand also has done a lot of stuff on this. Um, and there's other examples of that, but we were very compelled by that. And so, you know, we looked at different, you know, some of the different protocols that are pursuing the ability to create these types of collectibles on Bitcoin. You know, we ultimately landed with with Taproot Assets um, for a number of reasons, but that would be like one sort of use case for uh, Taproot Assets are these loyalty collectibles that, again, can maybe like we've, we've got one um, customer, for example, who uh, whose product is kind of these like a limited time, you know, series. And so what that means is that customers are like, you know, really, you know, on edge trying to get trying to make sure they get access to this product that, you know, that's very scarce. And so one potential idea there, for example, could be, you know, the rewarding of his most loyal customers with one of these loyalty collectibles that then bestows them access to this special token gated page on his website where they can get early access to these new product launches, for example. Um, so that would be like one example on the loyalty collectible side. And then the other thing, of course, that Taproot Assets uh, would, would unlock is going back to some of the... Um, the more kind of fungible loyalty tokens, if you will. So putting points themselves, you know, on Lightning Network Rails um, and, and for all the reasons we discussed previously on why that would be valuable, both for consumers and businesses. So those are like the two categories that we're thinking about, at least in the context of loyalty for, uh, for Taproot Assets. And so long-winded uh, kind of roundabout there to your actual question of the wallet, it's just that there is, you know, there is nothing that exists. Um, you know, uh, Taproot Assets, obviously formerly known as Taro, had the whole kind of legal scuffle with, uh, I think, Tari from the Monero community, if I'm not mistaken. And so there was this kind of lull and pause and they had to rebrand it. 
And so there was this kind of like, you know, a little bit of a little bit of a pause, but um, it's really, really exciting now, the different releases that are being uh, put out. Um, the protocol itself is pretty close to being kind of, you know, stable and, and, and you know, backwards, uh, you know, backwards compatible, all that good stuff. So, you know, we, we thought this was a good opportunity and way, given that we already have some of these use cases, you know, lined up, like, let's go ahead and, you know, build a wallet that's going to enable people to, you know, to engage with this. And the wallet, I'm pleased to say, also has some other really cool bells and whistles to this. Um, it's fully self-custodial, you know, fully fully non-custodial. Uh, it uses um, what are called kind of ephemeral uh, ephemeral apps to really make it easy for someone who has no idea of anything. Like, let's imagine just, you know, average Joe shopping on, you know, some merchant's website uh, and gets either sats as a reward or maybe this loyalty collectible, whatever, you know, this wallet would basically serve as a default. Um, we're agnostic, by the way, like, you know, your lightning payouts that you can get in your rewards, you could use whatever wallet that you want, but this will at least be a default option for people to be able to take self-custody of their rewards right off the bat without having to, you know, be knowledgeable of all this stuff. So uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming with this wallet and probably later this month, if not early next month, we'll start, you know, uh, releasing it, releasing it out in, um, in short form. Very cool. So I want to make sure I have this correct. Um, is it true that you guys see three kind of separate buckets of rewards, one being money and Bitcoin, one being points, and this might be enabled by Taproot assets and the other being collectibles, which also enabled by Taproot assets. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. When talk to me about like the framework a merchant might use to determine when they should be offering one type of rewards over another. Yeah, great, great question. And 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 we certainly don't want to, you know, we we can't be all things to all people. We you know it's it's not sensible to build you know, an infinite number of kind of variations and nor do we necessarily think that a given merchant will all or, or that all merchants would be using, you know, kind of all three buckets. But, you know, to give a flavor like sats are really, really good at driving kind of engagement, um, you know, activity in an app purchases, uh, maybe referrals as well, right? Like that gets you a lot of the value around, you know, we kind of lay it out on our, on our website you know, attract, engage, retain. And so sats are really, really good at, at, I mean, really all three, but particularly good at the engage and kind of attract stages. So whether that's referrals, sats for um, making a purchase, et cetera. When it then comes to like retention and really almost gamifying loyalty in a way, that's where I think the collectibles piece can can really come in. You know, this is something that in many cases would be would be really for your like most loyal, you know, upper kind of echelon of, of customers, something to really differentiate them and recognize them, you know, for their, for their loyalty. A lot of this comes down to recognition, right? And it's very, you know, people are like, well, I don't know, these, you know, collectibles, stupid. It's like, it's fine. You know, some people are going to think that, but there's others who find just a great deal of value in simply being recognized as a, as a customer of a particular brand. And I think the brands that have that really passionate base, like, you know, I don't know that Macy's will go and kind of pull off a compelling loyalty collectible, 
But, you know, if you think of, of brands that really have a, a more kind of rabid fan base, this is where you will see loyalty collectibles, I think, really play and excel. Um, and then the, I would say the, um, the sort of fungible, you know, loyalty points, probably a little bit further out. And, and that can help a merchant with, like, I would almost even imagine like reward federations, this idea of, and you see this today, right? Like you see the airline partnering with the hotel, you know, to have some sort of um, joint program or joint offering where consumers can kind of exchange value from one side to the other. I think that speaks to like partnerships that a brand could do uh, or forming these partnerships. Like that is certainly going to be the first step in that bucket or category before the truly open, fully open, you know, loyalty interoperable kind of network. I think you'll see merchants being able to form partnerships and coalitions and federations with perhaps non-competing, uh, but per, but maybe still complementary, you know, sort of friends. And, and so that gives them more, more of an internal operational lever at their disposal um, versus the other two that are a little more consumer centric. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor, Stackwork. Stackwork is a lightning powered platform for generating high quality transcripts of all your audio or video content. They combine AI engines and hundreds of human workers all over the world who are paid over the lightning network to assemble these transcripts. And that's what lets Stackwork create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. To see the results for yourself, you can check out my personal website where I host transcripts for all my podcast episodes. If you want to learn more about Stackwork, visit stackwork.com. That is S-T-A-K work.com. Now, Bitcoiners have, there's an entire spectrum of views on taproot assets. Yes. On the one hand, there is, this is going to be incredible. It's going to bring all sorts of activity to Bitcoin, to Lightning. The other hand, it's, this is terrible. And this is going to, you know, we're, we're like lowering ourselves to the standards of other, other, you know, digital assets and crypto collectible stuff. Right. What is your kind of pitch to someone who is skeptical about taproot assets, who, who kind of maybe lies on that, the, the end of the spectrum towards the, this is not a good idea, but maybe someone who's open-minded as well. Yeah. What's your pitch to them about why they should be interested why they should be kind of like looking at taproot assets and kind of like engaging with this idea uh, and, and what it could mean for, for Bitcoin. Yeah. I think, you know, rarely are these things so black and white, right? Like dare I say that there is often some, you know, nuance involved in some of these discussions. And so of course, you know, you need to look at the cost and you need to look at the benefits of any of these things. And so I think some of the skepticism that you're rightly outlining, like, yeah, that definitely goes in the cost uh, column. I mean, there's all sorts of hypothetical sort of issues we might imagine about like, you know, stable coins is another really big, obviously, category that people are thinking about for tapered assets. What happens if I have a bunch of these kind of centralized issuers, you know, like what, what, what does that mean? What could that mean? And so, yes, we should acknowledge that, but we should also carefully examine the potential benefit side to that equation. And so for me, I just, I look out there and like, whether, you know, just look at the market cap for stable coins, like the market speaks clearly there's a use case, particularly in emerging markets where maybe they don't have, you know, as, as good of access to dollars or something like that. Like 
the market cap clearly demonstrate that there is a use case here. And so what that means is that there are a lot of people out there whose only way to stumble into Bitcoin might be stable coins. Um, similarly, you know, there might be people out there whose only way they're going to stumble into Bitcoin is through this kind of loyalty collectible, right? Oh, what is this? Oh, okay. Interesting. This is on Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? Yeah. Like, so I view, I view that as the core, um, benefit. So you say, okay, this is a way for many more individuals to kind of stumble. You're basically just, you know, we think of Bitcoin as the life raft, right? And so right now there are a certain number of ladders that I can climb to get onto the life boat, life raft, right? So what Taproot Assets represents really to me fundamentally is the increase, the, just adding more ladders that various people may take to get onto the lifeboat. That for me is bottom line. Now, the other important point though to think about is like, well, there's more efficient and less efficient ways of enabling these additional use cases. It's like, great, like lay up more ladders to the life raft. But if you're, you know, if you're, if it takes so much time and energy and effort to craft this ivory ladder that you're stacking onto the life raft, uh, or, you know, God forbid, if the, if this additional ladder that you stack onto the life raft somehow gets stuck into the life raft and blows a hole in it, right? Like, obviously we don't want that either. And so I think it's interesting to compare, for example, like ordinals and inscriptions, you know, BRC 20 tokens, all that kind of wraps into one category. Like in many ways, and, you know, again, people have very, very diverse opinions on this. Uh, I, I've looked at it more as like an interesting experiment. And I think even some of the, like the documentation page of BRC20 tokens, like literally says, this is an experiment. Like you probably shouldn't put any wealth in this. And, and it even says like taproot assets, I think they used, you know, Taro is a way more efficient way of doing these types of use cases. So while it was the case that ordinals inscriptions uh, took off first in the sense that these are people just kind of hacking these things together. They are a much less efficient way to unlock some of these additional use cases from the perspective of like block space. And so that's what I would say, like, okay, yes, there are potential risks, um, but there's also really big potential benefits. You're laying these additional ladders. And if you can prove that you're laying the ladders in a way that's not going to disrupt the life raft and is only going to enable more people to come onto it, then for me, that sort of checks the box that like on a net, this is a good thing for Bitcoin. Um, and for me, that's where, you know, something like Taproot Assets uh, lands. I really like that analogy with the life raft and the ladder. Kind of making it up as I went. It's I was great. like, yeah, this, this goes pretty deep. Yeah. <laughs> um, when do you expect, you know, Taproot Assets been in development for a while. When do you expect yep. to see real people using Taproot Assets, either as stable coins or as collectibles in kind of a reward system? Yeah, I... I honestly think some sometime next year for sure. Um, I know Lightning Labs is working, you know, hard to, uh, you know, make the protocol basically fully backwards compatible. So there will be no more like, you know, consensus breaking changes. We'll probably see that in the next, you know, couple months or so. Uh, then the big thing for later this year and or early next year will be, um, you know, Taproot Asset enabled channels, you know, Lightning channels. And so once you have those pieces in place, you've got all the scaffolding, you've got the protocol set, 
And so I, you know, I, I realize next year is a fairly wide kind of timeline, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that is very reasonable. And we're going to certainly see uh, at least like beta use cases of that, um, at least for, for jolts, you know, probably much sooner than that. Where do you expect to earn money in this taproot assets ecosystem, right? You're going to have a wallet. You potentially have partnerships with merchants who offer collectibles. Where does Jolt make money in that? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's really just this, this just expands our repertoire of rewards that we can offer merchants. So, you know, um, the, all the taproot asset functionality will be made available through our API. Uh, and so, you know, think of it like, hey, I'm subscribing to Jolt's core rewards functionality, and I'm also adding in, you know, Tappered Assets because I want to do that. So that that is that is certainly one way. Um, for the wallet, we're thinking about different things around like minting, you know, to the degree that like lots of different, right? I mean, we're building this obviously with um, with consumers and merchants in mind for this sort of loyalty context, but to the degree that, you know, a lot of other people and users want to use this, then that could also open up, you know, an ancillary revenue stream for us where, you know, right, we charge some non-zero amount for these, uh, these mints of these assets. And so that could be another way that we, that we do that. Uh, we, but our, our, our goal in launching this wallet is not really to kind of like make money from the wallet per se. It's really to enable what we think is a truly world-class experience for someone to get onto the lifeboat who's not currently uh, on it today. Mm -hmm. One one line I saw on your website, I want to bring up, but that was really interesting. You said 52% uh, of the US population has purchased a digital asset. I'm curious to know what what is the what is being considered to... as a digital asset there? And you know, looking forward, if you expect you know others to be to be earning and using digital assets, uh, what what will they be doing with those digital assets? Will it be the same use cases that we see today or will it be new use cases? Yeah, really good question. I have to dig up in our dig up in our notes where we found that. But that, that that's like every all that's like all crypto, all crypto, any crypto of any kind. Got it. Um, and I think that was taken from the 2021, you know, near the cycle high. And so this was literally anyone who's like, you know, uh, bought, you know, think of all the people that have maybe bought like, you know, some Dogecoin on Robinhood, right? Like that would include those folks as well. I see. Um, you know, the 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 sort of, I, th I think a, a probably more robust number is more of that like 20% that I mentioned earlier. These are folks that have like held, you know, that have like held Bitcoin and sort of like understand it enough to want it as a kind of reward or maybe as an option amongst several rewards. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I, there are many, uh, you know, many altcoins that are gonna obviously go to zero. Are all of them going to go to zero? I don't know, like maybe over a long enough time horizon, but I, you know, unfortunately think that we're probably going to see a lot of shenanigans and degeneracy and this and that in the next bull cycle and probably the bull cycle after that. And so like part of our goal and mission here is for these use cases that people are inevitably going to pursue, can we build that on a fully Bitcoin-based technology stack, right? And that, that really was, okay, seeing what Starbucks is doing, okay, interesting, they chose, you know, Polygon for all these kind of, you know, you know, 
messaging reasons, right? It's so green. It's uh, you know, this and that, right? Like we, we, we want to have a Bitcoin competitor in the ring um, for that because we just believe that more businesses are going to adopt this type of stuff. And whether folks believe it or not, it's like, wouldn't you at least rather have some of that activity come back and benefit Bitcoin? Like that, that's kind of the way that we, that we think about it. Okay. So I want to hear your kind of like dream list of merchants. You, if Oof. you think about all the tools that you're building, all the functionality that you have, which merchants, if you had, if you had your ability to kind of pick and choose, would you be like injecting these ideas into? So Bitcoin rewards, the points based on uh, taproot assets or collectibles, any particular yeah. merchants that stand out to you as like, they need to be using this? That's tough. I mean, you know, you could go purely based on sort of size and for that you would, you would include like the Starbucks of the world and then the major, some of the major maybe airlines. Like, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I, I used to fly a lot more than I do now, you know, back in my consultant days. I mean, airlines are just so horrific. Like, wouldn't it be nice to have just something that could make you, you know, at least I'm earning a little bit of Bitcoin by going through this absolutely, you know, disastrous process of trying to fly anywhere these days. Like, um, so, you know, maybe maybe airlines could, could benefit because they are also the ones that, and hotels for that matter, like they have by far the most archaic, back-end loyalty systems. And so when you think about like upgrading your, you know, kind of loyalty program to a Bitcoin standard, like that's probably where both from a size dimension, as well as the just sheer archaicness of their existing systems, those are probably the types of entities who would gain the most uh, from engaging with this type of stuff. So that would probably be, you know, that would certainly be on my list. Um, you know, Starbucks for all the, all the reasons we discussed. Would it ever uh, make sense also... for someone like Apple? Like I'm, I'm thinking about like they're, you know, probably the biggest company in the world. Yeah. I don't know that they, do they even have a loyalty program? I Not that I'm familiar with. I, I, yeah, I'm not either. And that's a really, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, they probably assume that they don't, that they don't need one. And they've, I think maybe, you know, have been right on that for some time, but it's kind of like, well, you know, with, with growth slowing, um, who knows, like that could be a really interesting vector for them. But yeah, like, the beautiful thing about this is that, you know, we've built our technology and, and obviously, you know, Bitcoin itself and, um, you know, sats zipping across the lightning network are built in a way that like you could plug these into just about anywhere and anything, you know, internet native money, like, you know, the ability to sprinkle a handful of sats in all these different diverse contexts. Like, I don't think you could say a company to where I'd be like, well, I don't know what we would potentially do with them. Like there is definitely an opportunity for every single company uh, on planet earth. And as you, as we were saying earlier, like that can be a really compelling dip their toes in to then ultimately lead to a more substantial, maybe adopting Bitcoin uh, as a treasury strategy or adopting, you know, accepting Bitcoin uh, payments. I really think rewards can be the kind of first domino that, you know, we flick down for a lot of these, a lot of these big merchants. Very cool. All right. Let's jump into the lightning round. I got a few rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Sir. Let's do it. Okay. If you could only hold one asset for the next decade and it could not be Bitcoin, what asset would it be? Oh, brutal. That's a brutal question. Honestly, I, I'd have, I'd have to give a shout out to, uh, you know, physical gold. Um, yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a gold bug, but yeah, physical gold. Fair enough. 
Um, has there been any book that has changed your view of the world? Um, I think it's probably behind me. Atlas Shrugged. Uh, I would I would say a lot of a lot of people love Ayn Rand, but um, yeah, I, I've you know dri- I think crystallized a lot of things that I loosely held in my head without really being able to articulate why I believe those things. I yeah. uh, would highly encourage any Bitcoiner, if you haven't already, to to read Atlas Shrugged and read the work of Ayn Rand for sure. Um, if you could change one thing about either Bitcoin or the Lightning Network, what would you change? Wow. Oh, man, that's tough. Um, I think, I mean, there's a number of innovations I'm really excited about in the context of the Lightning Network, like things like channel factories that I think will really go a long way to um, being able to bring just a lot more users uh, onto it. Like, I, I think that, like, I think there is still a scalability question around Lightning. And so I would love to see more, uh, you know, just the advancement of some of the different proposals that and, and, you know, implementations that are being worked on to, to advance that, um, you know, maybe some, maybe some privacy stuff, but again, that gets, that's tricky. That's tricky at the protocol level, uh, for a lot of different reasons, but there you go. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and then finally, who is one builder in the Bitcoin or lightning ecosystem that you'd like to give a shout out to for doing great work? Um, well, I said, I said Breeze earlier. And so I got to give a shout out to Roy Scheinfeld, man. I mean, he, this guy reads some of his medium articles where he talks about this kind of lightning flywheel and they now have their LSP as a service. I, I think you've had Roy on, yes. um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, again, in so many ways, I think paved the way for this, this, uh, new paradigm of self-custodial usage of lightning. That's like actually a lot easier than it, than it used to be. And, there are very, very few I can think of um, who have as just, you know, uh, wide of a lens uh, on the Lightning Network as, as Roy. Awesome. Yeah, great choice and um, 100% agree. Let's uh, finish this off. Where can listeners go to learn more about uh, you and Jolt? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, uh, Ian underscore underscore major. Uh, I can probably give you my Nostra pub key as well. We can maybe put that in the show notes. Um, and then for Jolts, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Jolts Rewards. That's J-O-L-T-Z uh, Rewards. Um, and then you can find us at JoltsRewards.com where you can see some of our different capabilities. But um, yeah, those are probably the main main channels. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. I learned a ton and I uh, hope you can do it again soon. Absolute pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. In the last 30 days, you guys sent in 45,640 sats. And that came in from 46 different supporters. Great to see the number of sats and supporters climbing up. Thank you again to everyone who's been contributing to the show. It means a lot. Let's run through some of the last uh, week or so comments. We have from episode 115 with Tony Giorgio. Uh, I opt out says, tinkering with mutiny, had a small amount in the wallet and the channel was closed for no reason optimistic for future updates like coin joins with a heart orange emoji. Uh, thank you. I opt out and uh, hope that uh, channel situation gets remedied in mutiny. Blockchain Boog sent in 5,000 sats and said, great pod. Again, episode 115 with Tony Giorgio said, I like the idea of having lightning funds sit in mutiny versus on cash app. I joined mutiny and today, Oh, I joined Mutiny Plus today to help support the team. 
I really like the wallet so far. Had some liquidity issues, but that's, that's just how Lightning is. Overall, great pod, and I can't wait to see what the Mutiny team builds in the future. Uh, Vake sent in 2,000 sats and said he is also excited to try out Mutiny Wallet. Bond sent in 1337 sats and said, pretty sure RoboSats and the P2P Lightning Exchange uses HODL contracts. Uh, and that is on episode 113 with Super Testnet. I think that is a different tool that RoboSats is using. I don't think it is Super's HODL contracts, but correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the Swiss Road to Crypto sent a thousand sats and said, always interested in this type of content on Stacking Sats 7 uh, with Brianna Honkawa Destries on uh, Stacking Sats on Noster. BTC Rich sent 500 sats, said great pod as usual. We had a few people create clips of the episodes, of, of the recent episodes. We had Michael Matchulef send in 500 sats and said, very excited to see how Mutiny continues to grow. We had Gray Ruby sent in 1,000 sats and said, my man Siggy. Thanks, KR, on episode 8 of Stacking Sats with Siggy47 on Stacker News. Blockchain Boog says, thanks for this. A pleb interview. Sent in 5,000 sats. Again, on, on stacking sats number eight. Kepford said, great episode. Siggy47, you did a great job explaining the stacker news value. And an anonymous user said, great stuff on episode 115 with Tony Giorgio. Thank you again to everyone who's been sending in comments, sats. It means a lot. I can't wait to see what you guys send in this week.